Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the show. I'm Chris Graham, joined today by Scott German. We're going to talk all things sports. There's so much to get into. You know, next week, Scott, we're heading down to Charlotte for the ACC football kickoff. Next week is also SEC Media Days down in Atlanta. This week, the Big 12 has the spotlight, such as they want it, <laughs> I guess, uh, with, with their media days uh, from a football perspective. So we're getting some actual football talk now. And we're still in the throes of at least the talk about conference realignment. Nothing, I don't think, is going to happen at this stage anymore. I think we're probably done for the year, if not for the next several years. But that doesn't mean we don't talk about it. And uh, that has been a focus uh, today for the Big 12 and its outgoing commissioner and its new commissioner uh, as that league uh, is first in our view um, in terms of how things are going to go. What are, you, what are some of the takeaways, Scott, that you're seeing uh, from what the early reports from the Big 12 meetings are? I was watching in ESPN earlier, and they've been on site. I guess ESPN will be on site next week at the ACC. So a lot of speculation as to what these conference commissioners are, are, are saying. And it sounds like the Big 12 commissioner is basically – giving an all-in, unified approach. And, you know, if you think about it, Chris, the Big 12 may be the most stable conference of all the Power Five conferences because they're certainly in a – if this was a uh, – if you equate this to Major League Baseball and the upcoming uh, trade deadline, the Big 12 are certainly what – would, what would you say, buyers? I mean, the Big 12 certainly not looking to get rid of anybody and maybe no one in the Big 12 is looking to jump ship. Um, we already know there's four schools coming on, Houston, Cincinnati, uh, Brigham Young, and um, Central Florida. Um, you know, they, they're in a great situation to um, add a few schools, too. There's speculation four, and who knows, maybe even go deeper into the Pac-12 than four. So the Big 12, all of a sudden, which looked like losing Oklahoma and Texas a year ago, looked like they were wobbly. Now they're dealing, to me anyway, in my opinion, they're dealing from a position of strength. I think so as well. I don't know about strength, but certainly they're not in a position of weakness. Uh, their TV contract comes up after the 2025 season, uh, after the 2024-2025 season. So still this year, next year, the following year, and then their TV contract comes up. So um, they're losing Texas and Oklahoma, uh, and, and they have a position of strength over those two schools when they leave. Um and we'll see um, when they let them leave uh, or, or do they charge a, a really huge exit fee, which they certainly have right to based on the conference contract. Uh, but yeah, they, they have, they have some of the cards right now uh, and their, their new commissioner who, who starts on the job on August 1st, his name is uh, Brett, your, your mark uh, was talking today uh, in Arlington at the big 12 meetings uh, about uh, they're open for business is I think the quote. I mean, that's, that's a direct quote and they're looking to do what they can do. They already are adding four new schools, as, as you mentioned, Scott. So they're replacing the, the two they're losing with four and, and it's a pretty good four. Um, you know, anyone else, I think uh, in, in that position would have loved, they would have loved to have added, added those four and not lost Texas and Oklahoma. That'd have been a pretty good addition uh, uh, in any case, but uh but yeah, you know, they're, they're still a couple years away from renegotiating their TV contract. And so uh, they're, they're looking to see what can happen. You know, if, if some of those other big 12, uh, Pac-12 schools, which I guess we can start calling the Pac-10 now that they've lost USC and UCLA or will be losing USC and UCLA. Uh, some of those schools look like they could be ripe. Uh, it'd be interesting to have Utah and then ha pair them with BYU and get that holy war within the, the big 12 purview. You know, Arizona, Colorado, Arizona State. Uh, geographically would make a lot of sense uh, just because of the continu contiguity with the uh, rest of the Big 12, uh, except for West Virginia, which is out there in the, uh, near the East Coast. But, um, you know, Stanford and Cal are both, uh, you know, big, big programs that are sort of waiting to see what happens next. And, and then Oregon makes the most money of anybody right now uh, because of their ties to, the, to, to Phil Knight and, and the Nike empire. And then Washington and Washington State are sitting out there. So, you know, the Big 12 is in a position of maybe some strength, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that any of those Pac-12 schools are going to end up peeling off either. Pac, the Pac-12 has its own deadline of 2024. They, they have this year and next year 
uh, and then their TV contract comes up. So they'll be starting to, to, to negotiate with, with TV partners, TV and streaming partners uh, about what they do next. That's why there's talk with the ACC uh, about potentially forming some sort of an alliance uh, broadcasting and maybe scheduling alliance uh, just because their contract comes up sooner, a year sooner. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's fluid. And I think that's exactly what Yormark said as well. Situation very fluid. And he's he's wanting you know those Pac-12 schools in particular to know hey we're 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 here for you if you if we if uh, if you need us. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go into a little bit of a dialogue. It might be a little lengthy, so bear with me. And then you're gonna have the podium, okay? All right. So I have a friend that we we relative actually that we discuss football with. Uh, lengthy football basketball ac acc particular um and we were we were chit-chatting the other night via text and the topic came up from him i wasn't really i didn't really put a lot of thought into it beforehand but he asked is the ace is the sec football is it just a bunch of smoke and mirrors I'm glad you didn't spit that. You're drinking some water. I'm glad you didn't. That didn't cause you to spit that out at that, even at that thought. So, so here's here's what I'm thinking. Here's what he thought, and I agree. And I even expanded upon that. And I want your opinion. So we know about Alabama. We 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 know about Georgia. They're they're powerhouses, correct? I mean, they well, they are. They, yeah, and there's among the powerhouses in the SEC. But yeah, those those are the two. Right now, the the world revolves around those two. But, but you 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 hit a mug. So you look at the other schools in the SEC that that are thought to be just predominantly powerhouses in, in football: Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, LSU. Have, LSU won a championship recently. LSU. Okay, we they are, but there's also plenty of also rands in that conference. Just just as every conference has them. Uh, there, none of those schools are in LSU's and I guess has the New Orleans market, but Georgia maybe the Georgia certainly Atlanta market, but there's a lot of rural schools, rural area schools in that. So as far as dominating the TV market, they don't come close to the the ACC, uh, and, and not that that's a, a that much of a, a an influence in in this realignment talk that's been going on now for so long, but but. Is the is the ACC that far behind? I know we've talked about there's some programs in the ACC that have been dominant football programs that just have not lived up to expectations. Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech. Um, if those schools had not literally fallen off the cliff, would we would we be talking about that now? Of the, the, about how far behind the ACC is? If if you had Virginia Tech, Florida State. Miami, Clemson, um, powerhouses like they were a decade ago, or, or would would this conversation about how weak the weak uh, the ACC is, and, and is that all that's needed in the in the ACC is for those schools to regain prominence again in football? If a frog had wings, his ass wouldn't hit the ground either. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously the the fact that you know there for a while. Gosh, you know, the ACC was poised, perhaps. I mean, the, the whole expansion was done. The expansions, let's say, 2004, 2011, and 2014. And then the loss of Maryland, which was nice, that helped us, um, was done to, to, to expand the, the, the football side of things. But we thought we figured basketball was already done. Ba- basketball is already premier. It's preeminent. But uh, we were trying to get football bigger. And, and, you know, early returns were pretty good. We got Virginia Tech in 2004. From 2004, I guess it was from 2003 to 2011, uh, they won 10 games every year, uh, at least 10 games every year. Um, so they, they never won a national title, but they were always in the discussion. Um, Miami never – I mean, they've played one ACC championship game, so Miami's not lived up to. But when we got them in 2004, they were just a couple years away from two straight appearances in the national championship game, one undefeated season. And, and things have fallen off. Uh, Florida State uh, had a nice run in the, in the you know, between 2010-ish and 2015. They were 
Uh, they won a national championship. They played in another, another playoff. Um, they, they uh, were, you know, 10 game, 12 game, 13 game winners each year. It seemed like, and then they've fallen off. Um, even Louisville, when they first came in the league, Louisville, uh, Lamar Jackson won a Heisman trophy and came back as a Heisman trophy winner. I remember him at the ACC kickoff that year. He was the Heisman trophy sitting there. I mean, um, the ACC there for a while, you, you know, we had the national championship trophy. We'd have the Heisman trophy sitting there at the, at the, at the desk, at the top of the, uh, elevators there in the Weston hotel in Charlotte. And that was, you know, we'd all get our, all of us media folks would take our picture with it. And, you know, those were, those were some good times. It's not, it's not been that long ago. Right. But, but now, I mean, even last year, Clemson, which played in seven straight playoffs, um, was not in three last year. Uh, the ACC was not part of the discussions last year. And Florida State hasn't been since 2015. Uh, Louisville since 2016. North Carolina um, had a one season, like in 2016, I think it was, where they won 10-plus games. And, you know, Miami and Carolina recruit great can't win. So football is what, what runs the, the TV contracts. And, and football has not been doing the job for the ACC. And so, yeah, it's, it's a good theoretical question. Uh, I don't know that we're the SEC, even if all those programs stay at the level they were, but we're certainly closer, but we're not. And it's hard to foresee how we can get back there with the fact that, I mean, I'm looking at the, I wrote the notes down here. The SEC's contract, they've already signed a new deal, uh, a huge deal with ESPN. It starts uh, after the 2023 season. Um the uh, Pac-12 and Big Ten, both in 2024, Big 12 and 2025, our, our TV contract goes through 2036. We're locked in at 2016 prices, <laughs> at 20-year deal. We're locked in for a long, long time when, when those uh, contracts have, have, have you know, reflected the, the increase in demand uh, for, for TV content. And, and you know, they've, they've gone out on the open market and TV networks have been going crazy over it and, and streaming networks can, can bid the price up. We haven't been able to do that and we won't be able to do that for a long time. And so I don't know how we're going to close the gap, Scott, uh, when the money gap is just going to get wider and wider. They'll have, the, the, those schools and those conferences will have more money to invest in coaching and assistant coaches and training staffs and facilities. And, and we'll be playing catch up for another 14 years. That's going to be tough. You know, and, and the, and the catch 22 of that, Chris, is that it's also going to affect our basketball. There's, there's, there's a lot of thought right now that the reason the SEC is uh, elevated in the play in, in basketball is that they're investing. This, many of the schools are just investing tons of money to hire great coaches, um, new facilities. Does the fact that we're, we're living under this, this, uh, bad TV contract, does it have an effect? Does it have a, a, a residual effect over in basketball where the schools just, they don't have the revenue. Football is the cash cow, and it's, that cash cow is not bringing in the money that the SEC and the Big Ten is bringing in. So will it affect basketball as well? Well, I, th I mean, I think we're seeing it. Yeah, the, the schools that led the, uh, the field in NCAA tournament bids last year were the SEC and or, excuse me, the big 10 and then SEC. We were, we were behind those two conferences. And even though we had three in the elite eight and two in the final four, one in the championship game. And that was, uh, we were in the championship game with the big 12 uh, and the big 10 and SEC were nowhere near those, <laughs> those levels. Um, they weren't in the final four. They weren't anywhere, you know, anywhere close to that last year at the, at the finished line. Um, they had a lot more people at the starting line because, uh, you know, yeah, they have more money. I mean, right now the difference is from the TV part of things is $25 million a year. But by 2029, the projections show that the difference in TV money per school uh, will be $50 million per year between the uh, SEC Big Ten at the top level and then the ACC next level down. And so when you have $50 million a year more to spend overall, that's not just in basketball or just in football. That's across your athletics program. But the bulk of that money is going to go back into football and basketball. Uh, if you have $50 million more per year per school, you better expect the, the, the results to be different. You better expect better results. And it's, and we're, we're fighting uphill. Um, we have more money than, than the big 12 slightly and, and pac 12 slightly. And then of course, overall the mid major conferences and small conferences. So it's not like we're, 
the ACC is completely disadvantaged on, on the grand scheme of things. In basketball, there's, I think, 34 conferences. In football, there's there's 12, I believe. Um, to be third is, is you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're still better than nine other conferences in, in, in football and 31 other in basketball, but you're not you're, 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 you're a distant third to the, to the top two. And so it, it's, it's just hard to expect that we will be able to keep up with those two. Uh, that doesn't mean we won't win championships and doesn't mean we won't compete. It just means that when we, when we do win championships and we do compete, well, um, it'll be more of uh, aberration than it will be something you could expect. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go back to something and, and let you expand upon that. You said when I when I when I said that the ACC needed Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech to to be good nationally again. You said if a frog had wings. So, are you implying that those schools have no chances? Of oh no, competing I mean, on that level, competing at that level. There was no. I was answering more the if if they hadn't fallen off, you know, and it, my 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 little smart ass comment about if a frog had wings, his ass wouldn't hit the ground. Yeah, they they fell off. Uh, they have obviously they all those all those schools and even Virginia. I mean, hell, you know, Virginia's. I I, I think we both agree it's hard for Virginia to compete uh, at a level of an Alabama or LSU or Georgia in football. Um, because of the academic part, side of things that, that um, the admissions requirements that limit Virginia to, to, you know, have 85 scholarship players who can compete with 85 at those kind of schools. But, but Virginia is spending more money. Hell, Virginia is spending $90 million on a football performance center. We just hired a, a, one of the top up-and-coming coaches, uh, an assistant coach who'd been uh, wooed by several Power 5 programs and, and turned them down and, and finally decided that Virginia was the right fit for him and Tony Elliott. Um, but North Carolina has spent a lot of money. Uh, they brought Mac Brown back. They, the recruiting is going great. They're just not winning on the field. Florida State, since Jimbo Fisher up and left, uh, they're on their uh, their second coach, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, they might be getting ready to go on their third coach since Fisher left. Uh, but Miami, Mario Cristobal is the guy that a lot of folks think might be the guy to, to get things turned around there. But we've said that about Mark Richt. We said that about Manny Diaz. We said that about Al Golden. But Cristobal, you know, it, it's his turn now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that there are there's potential in those programs. Virginia Tech, Brent Pry, I mean, you know, I, I guess we'll see what happens. You know, Virginia Tech hasn't been really relevant for about a decade now. But, I mean, there's still a tradition there that is still not too far in the distant memory. And, the fan base uh, supports the program. They they still they still outdraw uh, you know most programs on a percentage basis relative to their stadium. So I think that there's potential in any of those programs, and we don't need all of them to be clicking all at the same time. When you think about the SEC, Alabama's good every year. I mean, yeah, they're they're there every year. Georgia has gotten uh, to that level the last you know, two, three, four years. LSU is there, and then they're not. Auburn is there, and then they're not. Florida hasn't really been there for a while, but they've been close, and then they're not. Um, think about who else. Tennessee's not been close for quite a while now, probably. For a decade. Years, uh, yeah, 10 or 15 years maybe, but they still have a glint in their eye of remembering what it felt like. Um, outside of those, you know, I mean, Mississippi's trying hard, uh, but I don't know that they'll ever get uh, up to that level. <laughs> Um, and other, but so it's really in the sec, it's, it's really, I mean, I'll, I'll name those, I'll name Alabama, Georgia, LSU on one tier and LSU is the third of that tier. And then Florida, Auburn, maybe at the next tier. And then there's, and then know, there's also rents just like the ACC and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll well, they'll it, be I'll, adding Oklahoma in the next year or two. And Oklahoma Oklahoma's year. been relevant, but Texas hasn't been relevant in 12 years. Oh, Texas in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Since uh, Mac Brown was there, right? Since Mac Brown left. So here's, here's the schools that in, in the SEC that I say could go toe to toe with the doormats of the ACC. So we know the strengths. Let's look at the weaknesses. Um, and I, and I know that there, if, if anyone's listening, it's a fan of these schools, you're going to have an, oh, yeah, but that year. I'm talking about <laughs> consistent <laughs> winning. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kentucky. Um, University of Mississippi. Mississippi State. Missouri. South Carolina. Tennessee. Vanderbilt. 
And even Texas A&M has not been, even since Jimbo Fisher came, he had mm. one good year and that's because he had a, he had a generational quarterback that, that was generational for college. Johnny. Um, now he wasn't there when Manziel was there. He wasn't there. Okay. No, but I'm just saying there. Texas A&M is, is as a program. Yeah. Uh, so Arkansas has not, has not been good in football. So the AC, the SEC has their share of also rands as well. And there, some of those are not necessarily also rands. They're, they're, they're eight win programs that, yeah, they're not competing uh, for national championships, but they're, 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 mid-level is better than the ECC's mid-level. The ACC has had way too many six and six teams lately. That's been our problem. Um, and, we'll, and, and we'll wonder if the scheduling, the new scheduling could help that or hurt that. I don't know. I mean, you know, at some point you need, the ACC needs to have a, a few tiers. And right now we've had, in the last few years, we've had two tiers, maybe three, but the second tier is way behind Clemson. But, you know, when you look at the SEC, Alabama and Georgia the last, let's say, three or four years, uh, they've been national championship level contenders. They 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 start the season thinking, if we don't make the playoffs, it's it's been a bad season, and 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 they've made the playoffs, uh, and and you know alternated winning championships. LSU had that historic season a couple of years ago, um, where they had maybe the, you know, a lot of people think maybe the best one year college football team of all time was Joe Burrow with all those huge stats. They were fifteen and zero, beat the hell out of everybody. Uh, but then they, you know, two years later, fired a coach who won that with that great team. But they they start LSU starts some seasons thinking national championship, and some seasons they think just top twenty five. If you're Mississippi, Mississippi, Ole Miss, they start most seasons top twenty five and probably finish most seasons around top twenty five. Um, a And M will be there in that same mix. Uh, Florida's probably uh, in the periphery of that. But then you've got yeah, then you've got some bad ones. Uh, South Carolina and God love them. They're never going to get up to that level consistently. Tennessee probably never will again. Kentucky is an eight win at, at sort of top. The, the, their height is an eight win program, eight or nine win program. That's not bad. Um, what we've lacked in the ACC, Scott, we have not, we've had Clemson and then we've had a bunch of six and six teams. It feels like now I know Pitt's Pitt last year had 11 wins and no, wake started nine and oh, nobody thought Pitt or wake was going to compete for a playoff spot. Uh, when Clemson lost two of its first three games, the ACC was done last year. Um, even with Wake going, I don't know, they were still, what, number 11 at their best in, in the polls when they were, I don't know, and then when they lost, reality smacked them in the ass. Um, we, we, we cannot rely on Clemson to have to, to be the, the flag bearer, and if they lose, because they lost to Georgia in week one, and then they, I can't think who the second loss was to, but – they lost. They, when they lost that 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 game, I believe won, it was won, NC State. NC State. Oh, yeah, that's right. NC State and like double overtime. When they lost that game, we're done. Yeah. And 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 we we can't we can't be that. We need we need other programs to step up and give us an alternative. And we just have not had that for a number of years. And, and I think that is what is could possibly keep the ACC afloat. Is if these schools, some of these schools. And yeah, as much as I hate to admit it, tech becomes relevant again. I, and Virginia, because obviously Virginia's in this uh, to play big boy football. They're not in it to, 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 they didn't spend, they didn't take, solicit these funds, these donations to, to play a lower level of football. Yeah, they didn't, they're not spending $90 million on a football ops center so that they can still win six games every year. <laughs> right, exactly. So Virginia, Virginia Tech, um, um, Miami, Florida State. If, if those North Carolina, I would throw in that mix. North Carolina, if those programs – and they're paying Mike Brown a heck of a lot more money not to not to do like they did last year. Right, right. Um, so if if the Granham Rights is the ironclad uh, thing that keeps this conference intact – then if those schools that we just spoke of do start to play good, solid football again, then I believe the ACC withstands this and, and is relevant again. It, it is, I don't know if that's enough to negotiate a new deal with the ESPN, but to me, ESPN holding the rights, they would want, they would welcome the ACC to becoming a strong conference again. Uh, and I say, this is another thought, 
why, why are we waiting on Notre Dame? Uh, if if we want to get to 16, I know I know we're talking about well, we're, we're not gaining any more money to to big, to make the pie bigger, but let's bring in West Virginia just to bring in another solid football team program with a great fan base to help to help solidify the football. Uh, in the conference and then see what Notre Dame does. If Notre Dame wants in, if they decide we can pull them in somehow. Great. If not, we move on to another school. Well, I'll throw this out. I've, I've been the advocate. I mean, I wrote a column last uh, summer around this time last summer. And I laughed at that at the time you did. And, 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 um, a lot of ACC regulars did. And then the West Virginia folks were excited. The, The readership on that column was pretty tremendous. Um, but I'll throw some water on my own thoughts there uh, in, in, in this form. One thing that could make, um, you know, ACC schools attractive if, if the Big 12 or, or, excuse me, the Big 10 or uh, SEC were looking, which they're not, not going to be for any time soon, but uh, to, to, to schools in different states is the, the one, the backdoor way to increase your TV money is um, a- adding, adding another state to your, your cable TV footprint. So the reason Virginia or Virginia Tech could be attractive, for example, to either SEC or Big, 12, or Big Ten, and of course, Virginia Tech couldn't go to the Big Ten. They're not in the Association of American Universities, but why Virginia would be, would be that when, when a, uh, the, the, the conference TV networks, you know, the Big, 12, the Big Ten has its own network, SEC does, ACC does, Pac-12 does. When um, those networks are offered to uh, cable subscribers, satellite subscribers outside of the conference geographic footprint, which means not having a, a team in that state. Um, you pay, a, you as a subscriber pay a much lower rate for like the, for example, we, I'm sure Scott, your TV has the SEC network. I know mine does. I never watch it because I don't, I don't watch the SEC, but it's on my TV and I pay something like, I think it's 40 cents a month. If Virginia was in the SEC, I'd pay something more like $5 and 40 cents per month. And if you start extrapolating that out, you know, how many million TV, you know, cable and, and satellite subscribers there are in Virginia, um, that's, that's why you'd be more valuable. So if you, if, if you throw that argument to West Virginia, West Virginia's Morgantown, West Virginia, uh, which is the home base of, of West Virginia University, is, in, is physically in the, the Pittsburgh TV market. But the idea that the state of West Virginia, a much smaller state, um, then, then Virginia uh, is, you know, Virginia's Virginia's uh, one of the you know what top ten states uh, population wise in the country. West Virginia itself would not add a lot of dollars to the bottom line for the ACC in terms of cable TV viewers uh, that would have to pay more money to get the ACC network to be able to watch West Virginia games. So, um, that's that's a disqualifying factor for them. At least that's the, that's a that's a negative notch on the on the ledger there. And why you would want to think more about, you know, rating the Big Twelve, perhaps if you were if you were thinking about adding another team to your another program to your conference, you know, thinking about Central Florida, for example, or thinking about and see Central Florida wouldn't really help because we already have two Florida teams, but Houston could help because we don't which have anybody. I, which I that. advocated that about three years ago. Yeah, yeah, uh, that could help. But, but Chris, so interrupting you on that thought, then why would Virginia Tech be of a value to anyone? Well, because they're in Virginia. And Virginia is not in the SEC or Big Ten. That's okay. you know, I mean, the SEC particularly because they again the the Big Tw- the Big Ten would not look at them uh, as not being a member of the Association of American Universities. But for the SEC, yeah, I mean, they could if 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 the ACC were to dissolve somehow, um, Virginia and Virginia Tech are going somewhere. Um, if Virginia doesn't go to the SEC, then and, and decides it would decide to go to the Big Ten, Virginia Tech would be right there for the picking. They they have to go somewhere and. They'll either go to the Big 12 or they'll go to the SEC uh, and, and they'll make those conferences extra money. Um, so that's 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 a fact. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the factor. That's not the only factor, but that is an important factor. And that's probably one that's that's uh, you're limiting the ability of West Virginia to get to get uh, more of a chance to be a, a member of the ACC. I mean, there's that there's the. The, the academic reputation, you know, their their ranking in the U.S. news rankings is in the mid mid two hundreds. Still um, ahead of Louisville. They're at, well, no, they're behind Louisville. Uh, Louisville's in the mid. Oh, really? Yeah, Louisville's in the mid ones, like one sixties, one seventies. Dear Lord. <laughs> the rest of the ACC is in the top eighty, and most of the ACC is in the top sixty. Um, 
But yeah, so West Virginia's uh, academic profile probably doesn't fit. Um, the cable subscriber profile probably doesn't fit. Um, there are lots of you know, checks there, but there's there's there are some big minuses there. And you know, Scott, when I think when you break it down, you, you know, you when you start going through all the candidates, I don't know that. I don't know that the ACC needs to expand. I think all the major players are off the board now. I, you know, except for except for getting Notre Dame to be a full time member, which they're not going to do. Um, I don't know that you get any value out of adding a UConn or a Central Florida or a Houston just to say we have sixteen schools now, because I think you're doing what I say the SEC or Big Ten would be doing by adding more schools from where they are now, which would be you're bringing more people to the dinner table and you have the same meal to serve them. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't believe adding teams just to add teams is going to, is going to help the situation and the ACC may be done. And I think we're going to hear similar uh, types of comments next week from commissioner Phillips. And I really believe that the, what's going to get the ACC through and, and maybe back to a, a little better standings is just these teams that, that have just literally, I mean, they haven't just dropped a little bit Florida state, Miami, and tech, they've yeah. been pretty bad. They, they, it's not like they've dropped from top 10 status to top 20 status. I mean, those teams, I don't think any of them have sniffed the final top 20 rankings in, a, in the last four or five years, have they? they? I don't, I don't remember that they have. And, you know, two of them were based on, well, I mean, Bobby Bowden has been gone for a while, but Jimbo Fisher was the coach in waiting and he, he took from what Bowden left him and did better with before he left for Texas A&M. Um, of course, Virginia Tech and Frank Beamer, his last few years were a departure and, and, and things didn't work out with their new coach. And, you know, Miami has had a succession of coaches who've recruited great and can't win. And um, uh, so, yeah, you, you, you know, it's, it's – I, I will throw one thing in, Scott. When I was chatting on this topic yesterday with our colleague Jerry Ratcliffe, the one school that I need to do more vetting on would be Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati is in a decent sized TV market. In fact, they're a comparable TV market to, um, the Pittsburgh TV market, which is a top 25, top 30 TV market. So they're also in a different state. They're in Ohio. Um, we could maybe, you know, get the ACC network in Ohio and make some more money that way. Um, I just haven't recently, I mean, from a, from a performance standpoint, Cincinnati football was obviously in a playoff last year. Uh, basketball is usually a pretty solid program. So, um, so they were, they're an athletic athletics fit. I just have to look at their academic profile more to see if we can justify that. If we can at least get them somewhere close to where Louisville is, <laughs> if we can find out that they're at least comparable to Louisville, um, we can justify that a little bit more. So Cincinnati is the only one that I want to do some more research on to see if they fit. But outside of that, yeah, we've got to, we got to work from within. I mean, we got, we are, what we are. And, and grand, I'm not just saying that grand media rights is, um, uh, the, the thing holding the ACC together, the grant of media rights is something that every conference does with its members. And there's a reason, for example, that Texas and Oklahoma haven't left, already left the big 12 for the SEC. You know, the SEC contract starts after the 2020, the, the new one starts after the 2023 season with ESPN. Um, the big 12 uh, is still holding its members uh, to the TV contract that ends after 2025. Uh, that new commissioner was talking today about how, um, they're still they're still working out some details with Texas and Oklahoma about when they'll leave. If you know, Texas Texas particularly has more money than God, um, if they could just buy their way out of their grant of media rights, they are one who could easily do so. Right? Guess what? They haven't done so yet. That tells you that if Texas with with more money than God can't get out of grant of media rights. Ain't nobody getting out of grand media rights. So the ACC is where it is through 2036. They need to work with from within to grow and uh, and, and change their fortunes. Yeah, and if you if you follow ACC sports like we have, they've they've had a lot of cross. They've been at a lot of crossroads. We just forgotten about them. Uh, South Carolina leaving the conference years ago was thought to be just a devastating loss for the ACC. Um, they overcame that. Um, Maryland, you know, in 2013. Um, so it's not the first crossroads that this conference has faced. And you just hope that the powers that be, Jim Phillips, are, are good negotiators, good business people, and they'll figure this out. Um, so I want to change the subject a little bit. Um, I was reading today, I subscribed to a sports newsletter called uh, Axios. 
I don't know if you get that. Axios, yeah, it's a politics and sports newsletter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so today, today's topic was the one year after the NFL, after excuse me, the NIL, which is name, image, and likeness, went live one year ago this month. Norfolk State running back Raheem Smith reached out to 100 companies hoping to strike a few deals. He's since signed at least 69 deals for well into five figures per Forbes magazine, including larger brands like Arby's, Boost Mobile, Pedialyte. The big picture is this is a prime example of athletic, athlete, athlete driven NIL deals that let college athletes act as entrepreneurs. What's keeping the NCAA up at night is um, the athletics driven deals where boosters are pooling money to possibly induce recruits to sign at certain schools. Um, I'll ask you whether you uh, agree with that or not. And then, so what, so it also broke down the top sports for NFL, NIL, excuse me, compensation in college athletics. So what, obviously, number one sport is what? It'd be football, yeah. yeah. What do you think number two is? I would assume basketball. Okay, that's that's correct. Okay, now here's where we're going to get interested. Number three. I'm sure it's a distant number three. And it is, it is not a distance number three, actually. It swimming. is close. I'll go with swimming. Women's basketball. Women's basketball, okay. It's not. So here's the breakdown, and this is Forbes magazine. I don't know how they get these figures because I thought these deals didn't have to be public, or do they? They're probably estimates. No, they're not public. They're not. They don't have to be public. I'm not saying that they're not public. They just don't have to be public. Yeah. For football is 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 generating 49.9 percent of all NIL deals. Women's basketball 15 point. Or excuse me, men's basketball second 17.0. Women's basketball third. 15.7. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. Fourth. What's fourth? Well, and it, is, it is so distant that it – I'll just tell you, fourth is below 5%. Well, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll qualify. When I said uh, distant third, um, what we're not getting here, they're giving you percentage of all the deals they know about. They're not giving you the value of those deals. No, they're giving you a percentage of the deals they know about. Yeah, yeah. Percentage of the number of deals they know about, not the value of deals they know yes. about. So percentage, and, and yeah. here's the exact terminology, percentage of deals from all, percentage of revenue from all NIL deals. Yeah, I, I'm going. I'm without seeing more about their methodology, I'm going to question the heck out of that. <laughs> but percentage of revenue, Um yeah. Okay. That uh, I'll, I'll take them at their word. I haven't done the research, but that's, that sounds fantastic. So women's basketball started at 15 and then it drops off to below 5%. And what do you think that sport is? Softball. Women's volleyball. Volleyball. Okay. 2.3. And, and from someone that covers a lot of women's volleyball, works women's volleyball games, there's endless opportunities and i'll just leave it at that <laughs> yeah. um hey you soft, got you got you got a lot of tall women who could be models for a they, game. absolutely I mean, that's a way to make some extra money on the side it's just one example of many yeah uh fifth is softball 2.1 six is women's swimming and diving again see volleyball is my example of that 1.8 baseball is next and it's near the bottom 1.7 because baseball players for the most part play in front of no one well that well, i mean the, a lot of the non-revenues do i would thought swim i would think swimming it seems like to me swimming is uh, got some potential for growth because swimming has a built-in system i mean pro pro swimmers you want to call them pro swimmers the ones who after college continue swimming and, and compete in international competitions in the olympics um they 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 have sponsors that's how they make their money they don't make money you know they don't make their money from winning meets and winning the Olympics, they make their money because they win meets, win the Olympics, and then they, they get sponsors. So um, it would seem like, uh, for example, didn't we, we had a few of UVA women swimmers who won gold medals and they're back on grounds. They should be making money right now. I mean, and if they're not, something's wrong. So, uh, you know, Cavalier Futures, uh, Low Davis get to work, but um, that's why I thought like some of those, uh, you know, if there's gymnastics, women's college gymnastics tends to be, the 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 because you know women's gymnastics in the Olympics tends to be the the high school age especially on the women on the women's side they're, they're high school age girls 
Um, the women's gymnasts in college tend to be those who weren't good enough to be international level gymnasts uh, and compete in the Olympics. But I mean, there are track and field, the, you know, the, those athletes make the, the bulk of their money. The pro track and field athletes tend to make the bulk of their money again, not from competitions and, and winning competitions, but because they win competitions, they get endorsements. So I would have thought those sports would be doing better. That's well, so yeah, you're, you're, you're on the right track. So it does break it down a little further. So, um, I'm not, I'm not sure who, who, who's attributed, who, who, who this quote gets attributed to. You can tell me much to do about nothing. Is that a Shakespeare? That sounds like a Shakespeare. Okay. So maybe we're, we're making much to do about nothing in NIL and we're all worried about it. So here's, I'm not worried what, about it, but yeah, yeah. Through one year, the average transaction of all NIL deals. Okay. Average transaction. Okay. $1,800. Okay. Again, I think so. They'd be better to have a mean, uh, a median transaction because some of the football, I mean, we, we hear the, the, the stories at the top of the, the pyramid, the, the, well, the mean would be better. Yeah, the, the quarterback from Alabama making eight hundred thousand last yeah, year. But the but the second string punter's not. Um, the second string punter's not. No. So, but that said, it, it is interesting to point out that, and, and this has been a concern, Scott. I know if our, our listeners out there can't see my my phone with all the text you send me, worried about nil. But um, I've been I've been saying that it's been much to do about nothing really since the beginning because it's it's. And, and I'm now agreeing with you. I'm going to call you a, a prophet. So <laughs> thank you. Foot, football transactions. And, and here's the other thing. According this to Forbes magazine. This is, yeah. So what, what are they This say, isn't going to change much because the marketplace is going to dictate and the marketplace is going to dictate that there's no use giving the second string punter a $50,000 NIL deal. He might get a, he might get a coupon to get a free big Mac. The marketplace is going to dictate that the starting quarterback doesn't get a 50. Exactly. So, so football transactions were higher. The average football transaction was $3,300. Okay. But not the highest, the highest female gymnastics. Interesting. Okay. $7,000 per deal. Okay. The median transaction was just $53. Wow. So there's your coupons to eat at McDonald's. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, uh, Brennan Armstrong signed a deal with the local McDonald's franchisee, and he's going to get a Brennan Armstrong Happy Meal, basically, yeah. in restaurants. So, and, and, and we, we talked, you talked about this. I'm just going to let you, I'll let you ramble on because I want to pr- prove your, your genius here. Okay. Uh, the media transaction was just $53. Concrete evidence. Now, this is a quote from Forbes magazine mm-hmm. that a majority of deals are, in fact, and will be, in fact, athlete-driven. Athlete-driven. Hmm. Okay. And what that means is the second-string punter is not going to get a deal. Yeah. He might get a free coupon for a Big Mac, and that's about it. Or he might uh, be like, was it a Norfolk State guy you said? The Norfolk State guy sent out, but that was initial. And they're going to figure this out, that there's no return on that. Well, you know, and and I think what people were, quote, afraid of with NIL was that there'd just be money thrown at them. I mean, if if you're going to do a deal with somebody, I'd like to think, like, for example, the local McDonald's guy with Brent Armstrong. He's, he's going to get people, hey, he's, he's the quarterback for Virginia. Uh, you know, I own all the McDonald's franchises within a 40 or 50-mile drive of Charlottesville. Um, because there's a Brennan Armstrong meal on the, you know, combo on the menu, um, a few more people will come and buy those who are Virginia fans who hear about this. And so that's the value. Just giving Brennan Armstrong money, there's no value. You've got to get, if you're a business person, you got to get something in return. And the McDonald's guy is going to get something in return. He's going to get some people showing up at McDonald's to buy those meals. Um, the idea though, that you're just going to throw money at a guy because he's, because you, you're an alum and you want him to be the quarterback. At some point, you're just going to say, you know, if you it depends on how much money you got, you know, I, I could spend my money a lot better ways than than getting some quarterback there who may or may not be the future of the of the program. So, I think that's going. We're only a year into this. A few years from now, we're going to see. A, I think we're going to see less money. Honestly, we'll, we'll, well, according to Forbes, we will because this is it. The, the, the evidence is there, and as as this goes on, this could even be a diminishing type. And that sucks for student athletes because they they don't they're not getting paid by the university still, and this is the way for the universities to shirk having to pay them. 
um, especially now with this era of realignment where Rutgers women's volleyball team has to fly out to UCLA to play a, a match on a Friday night. And you got to fly six hours there and six hours back. You're losing 12 hours of your time, not the school's time. And you still got to graduate in four years or you lose your spot on the team. I mean, you know, they're professional. If you're, if you're flying across country for a conference game, you're a pro athlete and they're just not paying them. So, you know, to me, NIL, you know, God, the, the, the kids deserve something. They deserve something more than nothing, which is what they're getting. And they're not going to get anything from it. It's going to get worse as time goes on. I agree. And Chris, the real, the, the, the football driven realignment, I, 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 for one think eventually that's going to have a trickle down effect adversely to these low, to these non-revenue uh, Olympic sports. Because if, if you're a girl's, let's just say you're a girl's field hockey player uh, and you're, are you going to, do you want to play in a conference that you're going to spend four hours on a plane to go play your games? And you know, you're going there to play field hockey. You're, 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 goal is to graduate with a degree from that school not to go play professional field hockey so when you go to a, a conference where the the schools are all geographically uh, aligned and you don't have to spend all your time in airplanes and things like that I think it's going to have a trickle-down effect maybe not next year but in the you know in five years where these revenue non-revenue Olympic sports players are going to go to smaller schools that are in more compact um uh, geographically more compact well or or a conferences like the ACC which um, still is kind of far flung Boston to Miami to Chicago but that ain't New York to LA <laughs> that's 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 a different beast um, that's a so, different that's a tremendously uh, different you know uh, I think it's to the advantage of the ACC and SEC and the Big 12 is even going to get I me mean, the, the Big 12 goes from West Virginia to uh, what would be BYU right now and if they add more schools on the west coast you know, if they, if they try to add the Pac-12 schools, yeah, I think it's to the advantage of the ACC and SEC. SEC probably first ACC, but I think it's to the advantage of those more geographically consistent conferences. And so I, I think that's another thing for the ACC to consider is, you know, the, 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 there's some idea being thrown out there. Hey, you know, uh, Stanford and Cal are sitting out there, hanging out there, doing nothing. And they're great academic schools. They would fit the ACC, no question, from an academics perspective. Um, they're in the San Francisco media market. That's a huge media market. Um, there's a lot of money at those two schools, obviously. Um, why won't, what, could, could we consider adding them to the ACC? I have the same objections to adding them that I have to Virginia ever thinking about joining the Big 12 um, because then we got to play conference games with them. <laughs> and that just doesn't make any sense. It makes none. And I, and I believe it's going to dilute it and it's going to be a negative for recruiting. It, it just will. I mean, I have I have a relative that plays um, um, lacrosse for an ACC school and went to that ACC school to get a degree and to go to medical college, mm -hmm. not to play professional lacrosse. Right. Uh, women's. <laughs> I know there's a professional men's lacrosse yeah. league, but but those those players don't make any money. Um, she went there to get a degree and. If you were to tell her that, uh, okay, now you're now you're going to go across country two or three times a year, that would be of no interest to her. You know, and another aspect of this, Scott, uh, changing the subject slightly, but going in a good direction that I think we can both talk on. Jerry Ratcliffe brought up when we when he and I were talking yesterday uh, about the impact on fans. You know, and I think we can look at the example of Maryland. Maryland's ticket sales have been flat the last eight to ten years since they joined the the Big Ten. Um, you know, if, if you're in a new conference, um, you have to learn new rivalries. And I kind of jokingly say I have to learn how to hate new people. <laughs> you have to I, I know what I hate about North Carolina or I hate about Virginia Tech or Duke or whatever. But um, Georgia Tech won the, the, the football game in 1990 uh, with the kick with the field goal at the, in the last seconds that, that knocked us out of the national championship picture. We won't have that history if we go to another conference. Um, and, you know, there might be some allure if you join the SEC the first time Alabama comes to Scott Stadium or whatever, but that goes away pretty quickly when they kick your heads in every year. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you're, the, the, the South's oldest football rivalry goes away because Virginia and North Carolina are not in the same conference. And, you know, when basketball season comes around and you're, you're playing 
uh, Missouri on a Wednesday night in February instead of Duke. Um, there's an impact on fans here that I think that the conferences and the TV networks are not considering. Yeah, and 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 again, take that a step further to uh, Olympic sports. Let's say, take that if you're Brian O'Connor and you're you're the head baseball coach of Virginia, and you've got a weekend series instead of playing a weekend series against nor uh, let's say against Georgia Tech or Florida State or, or Miami, you're playing a weekend series against Illinois. Or yeah. Wisconsin, Minnesota, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. They're not. That's not going to draw any interest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the weekend series against Florida State may not get but twenty eight hundred, three thousand. What's a weekend series against? You're not going to. There's not going to be a buzz in town to and see. Then and then you got to fly out every other weekend to some of those places, uh, which are a lot farther away than the places you got to fly away to now. Um, and. Uh, you know, if, if it, 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 I know I saw somebody who swore that Virginia was talking, one, one blogger or somebody who had a source who said Virginia was talking to the SEC and was going down the line of things. There are sports that these other conferences do not compete in. Uh, for example, the SEC doesn't do lacrosse. There's a couple of SEC schools that do lacrosse, and they have to be in a different conference. Um, associate members. Yeah, associate members of another, which, you know, God, why, why, why would you do all? So, you know, and those are, I mean, for Virginia, lacrosse is a big sport. We win national championships in that sport on a regular basis. So, um, you know, those are, those are considerations, the fan considerations, the alum considerations, you know, I mean, Scott, you're, you're a couple years older than me. I just turned 50. Um, we have grown up. We know, we know what, you know, we know what we're supposed to do when football season rolls around. We know who to hate. We know who to, to root for when they're playing somebody else. Um, I don't know that I want to have to relearn all that. I think I, I kind of feel sorry, for example, for, for JMU fans. Um, JMU, in, in a way, I know a lot of JMU alums um, and, and fans have looked forward to moving to the, to the FBS level in football. Um, but now they're playing, I mean, they'll play Appalachian state. That's a, that's a, a they, they remember them from their one, their fellow one double a days, but they're also going to play a bunch of Sunbelt teams. They've never, they, they've never heard of. They don't know anything about, they won't be playing women, Mary anymore. They won't be playing Richmond anymore. Villanova. Villanova. Well, you know, the, the in-state schools even more importantly, but yeah, Villanova, I mean, things like that. Yeah. And, um, and the novelty of playing North Texas is going to wear off after about two years. Of- yeah. If, if we give them the if we give them the two years, right? I mean, but yeah. So the novelty will, I think the, the novelty will wear off. And so I look at the Big Ten and I say, gosh, you know, they, they got USC and UCLA. So they get USC, no, uh, no, no, they get USC, Ohio State, they get USC, Penn State, USC, Wisconsin, USC, Michigan. You know, theoretically on the schedule, depends on how they, they schedule all these games. But they also get UCLA playing these schools, and UCLA from a football perspective is basically another Maryland. Um, there's nothing, there's no cachet to playing UCLA. Um, honestly, from the basketball perspective, neither of those schools adds anything to the cachet of the big 10. Um, and so, you know, you, 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 you're, you're probably making your own fans a little bored too, that that we have, except for football, those few matchups in football with USC, um, what are you getting? Yeah. You're going to, you're going to lose interest to see Alabama come to Scott stadium every couple. And, and first of all, they won't come to Scott stadium every couple of years. It'll be once every four or five, probably. Well, cause if the, yeah, if, if UVA joins the sec, it's a 24 team sec. We're probably in a different division than ever sees them. Yeah. Right. And, um, and you're not going to, those road trips to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, they're not, they're not something that many people I've been to Oxford, Mississippi and believe me, it's, it's not a destination. Starkville. You're Stark going Vegas, there baby. To, to see to, – to, you're going there for a specific reason. You're not going there to vacation. So, so I want to wrap this up real quick because I got one more thing to say. I know we're running over. Um, so, it, you know, a week ago or maybe even today, uh, John Swofford, most ACC fans are wanting to tar and feathering. But if this grant of rights deal – does what it was intended to do. And it forces these schools to stay together. And what we just talked about earlier, Florida state, Miami and tech and, and, and Virginia uh, take a big leap and, and become prominent in football. John Swofford is going to look like a genius again. 
Well, so the grant of media rights, again, is something every conference does because otherwise you can't write a contract if you don't guarantee that your teams, your conference, your members will be there. The, the criticism I would have had before I, I uh, read a couple of columns that made me give it some thought, I want to attribute one maybe to David Teal, um, is that the tw- it was more about the 20-year deal, not the grant of media rights. Grant of media rights is standard. The 20-year deal would have been the bigger issue because, God, we're stuck with this until 2036. That's a long freaking time, man. 2036, I'm 64 years old. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm already, they're already trying to send me AARP cards. I would really need one by then. That's a, that's a long time in the future. But on the other side of that, um, if the, if the grant of media, if the TV contract grant of media rights deal had expired, let's say in 2022, then, then it's breakable. Well, no, it's, 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 it's breakable because in 2022, um, it's broken. You, you're, you're negotiating a new team. Right. But the, but the negotiation is much, we're talking about a much lower number. Oh no! Well, we're, I'm I'm not making that point. What I'm making the point, Scott, is if if the deal had come up last year, this year, next year, uh, as the Big Ten and SEC are gobbling up all these programs, they may have gobbled up our programs too. The ACC, so the 20 year deal may it may not be the greatest deal on in, in on paper in terms of the amount of money we get per year, but if it had been a shorter deal and we could have renegotiated, we could have also renegotiated our way into the SEC or Big Ten. And there may not be an ACC. So he probably, I mean, it's, it's, it's complicated, you know, to use the, 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 you know, when you put your relationship on Facebook and sometimes you say you're in a relationship, sometimes you say it's complicated. This is one where it's complicated. This is one where you say, um, no, it's not the best deal in terms of dollars per school per year, but at least the ACC still exists. Because the reason UCLA and USC were able to, to be plucked by the Big Ten is because the Pac-10's TV deal comes up in 2024. If the, if, if they're, if, if the Pac-12's uh, grant of media rights and their TV deal went through 2036, USC and UCLA are still in the Pac-12. Um, so um, as, as bad a deal as it might be, it's what, it's what kept us together. And that's right. going to so be not only is it complicated, it's you could also say in some degree, to some degree, it's convoluted because <laughs> think about it. I mean, again, if this holds together, if this is the drive, if the length of this con- grant of rights deal, the length of it does keep this conference from, from everyone jumping ship, which it will, which it will. Um, there's no if it will. It will, and 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 Florida State and Miami and Tech and Virginia start becoming really good in college in, in football. Um, and and I don't think that's a far fetch. I don't think that's as far fetched to think as as a frog gaining wings. I think it's very. I, I wouldn't say it's very likely, but I say it. I will say that it's quite possible that they all take a big jump and the ACC could be in a position to have that contract renegotiated. There may be terminology in there that if situations change and you, maybe they have maybe the fine print that even David Teal hasn't peeled through. Uh, maybe there's things that are legal, legal, what's the word legalese that says if we have so many teams that are in the top 20 or top 10 and finish in the top 10 and go to this bowl game and go to this bowl game, uh, maybe it gives uh, leaves the door open for the ACC to negotiate a, a different deal with the ESPN. Because otherwise, we'll, we'll be doing so well. Uh, you know, going back to what you had uh, made the point of earlier, Scott. What if we get all these programs doing great, right? Football. So we 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 could just be giving ESPN a lot of TV ratings for bargain basement prices for the next fourteen years. And, and I don't believe ESPN is going to sit back and just expect us to take what's what was negotiated because ESPN is going to be making a boatload of more money. Yeah. It'll, these are among the questions we have to figure out a way to ask Jim Phillips next week and hope he'll be able to answer. Hope he will answer. He's able to answer. It's It's going to be very, it's going to be the most, I think the most, uh, interesting football media days that we've been to you know we we have uh 14 teams they're bringing three players per team this year scott not the usual two so that's a that's a fun uh, fun fact but they're bringing all those players um 
I would argue, this is not even much to argue, that uh, we often go just to interview, okay, it's our first chance to interview our, our coach, in our case, our new coach, Tony Elliott, um, this year, three players. Um, we'll talk to some other coaches. We'll talk to some other players. But we're there to talk to our coach <laughs> and our players. This year, I think uh, it's probably universal that every every um, sports writer attending, every sports journalist, uh, broadcaster, everything else attending, is there number one for Jim Phillips, number two for the school they cover. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And number right. one, Jim Phillips is way out there ahead of number two. He's it's number two, distant number two. So, do you remember last year? I believe of the two of us, only one went to even hear Jim Phillips's state of the conference address yeah because it was in, it was immaterial uh, this was year immaterial. We, uh, that that was held in the grand ballroom and the grand ballroom is going to probably not be big enough this year we got to get there early <laughs> that's yeah. why we're leaving on tuesday because it's yeah. early wednesday morning when he he talks and uh we'll just hope he answers the questions that's the only thing but we'll be there um and so next week our podcast actually will be delayed we'll probably um because we're going to focus our time on tuesday wednesday and thursday next week interviewing uh, players, coaches, commissioners, uh, other media folks, probably maybe not interviewing the other media folks, but just trying to get a sense of where things are going. So um, we'll, maybe we'll wrap up on Friday uh, after we can let it all sink in a little bit. Uh, and then we'll be writing stories for days and weeks afterwards. I know there's also a July 28th UVA specific uh, media day where we'll talk with coach, coach Tony Elliott, but also his assistant coaches are going to be available. A lot of players, uh, and so, um, which we've is got, something that's usually hasn't been done in the past. Oh, uh, Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall and Mike London and Al Grow all um, were pretty close to the vest. Uh, they they wanted all the attention to themselves from a coaching perspective. Uh, they gave they would give us a few players begrudgingly to talk to. No, Tony Elliott comes from Dabo Swinney's environment at Clemson, yes. where I mean, Tony Elliott had his own uh, weekly coaches show as as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Dabo likes his 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 coordinators, his his position coaches to talk to the media regularly, and Tony's following in, in his footsteps, and uh, we'll get a lot of players there too. So, God, I'm looking forward to the next few weeks, Scott. We get to talk to a lot of folks uh, about a lot of really important issues in sports and about football. Exactly. So, I want to want to take a couple minutes, change the subject, talk about baseball just for a moment, if we could. Yes. Specifically my team, the Orioles. Yes. They won last night, Chris. They're nine in a row. They are at least a year ahead of the, the rebuild plan. They're 44 and 44. Last year they were 44 and 95. <laughs> when they got to their 44th win. Okay. Uh, on two, it's their longest winning streak since 1999. Here's another fact. The last team to win nine straight after losing 110 games. The 19, excuse me, the 1889 Louisville Colonels. Interesting, okay. Um, and if you look at the American League East, mid-July, there are no losing records in the AL East. And right. to show how serious the AL East is about baseball, Toronto just fired their manager today. And they're they're at a wild card position right now. <laughs> they are, yes. Because they're not they're not happy with with just being in their wild card position. Yeah. No, they are they are the third wild card team, which uh, the AL East has all three wild card teams right now. And the top uh, contender outside of that, right? So and the top contender outside of that. Um, um so you know baseball is really starting to be fun again. Now the Orioles could come back to the to the earth and start playing to their talent level tonight, but they're getting, they're doing all the right things. They're getting great starting pitching. Their bullpen has been lights out. They're getting clutch hitting. Uh, but we all know baseball is so fickle. It could end tonight. Well, and here, here I pointed this out, Scott, I wrote a column after you uh, tipped me off to Mike Elias and some of his comments over the last weekend where he said they're still up in the air about what they're going to be at the trade deadline buyers or sellers. And um, there's still about three weeks until the trade deadline this year, the trade deadline is August 2nd. Um, I will point out, and I don't like pointing this out because I, I, they're, they're teams in different places, but last year, the Washington nationals were only two games behind the uh, Atlanta Braves at the trade deadline. <laughs> the Braves won the world series and that's where two games behind them in the uh, NL East in the wild card race. And the Nats decided, okay, we're two games out of the wild card. 
we're going to trade everybody. <laughs> I believe it was right after they, well, but you didn't, you got to expand upon that a little bit. I think that was soon after the Orioles had just swept them. Yeah, but they, but they were still, they were still two games behind the Braves. Who won I know, Chris, game. but, but the Orioles were 44 and 95 last year. Yeah, but so I'm pointing out that right now the O's are what a game and a half, two games out of the wild card, game and a half out of the final and, wild card. They're in a different place, yes, they're, they're, but they're a year ahead of their schedule. If the, it, the next three weeks will be crucial to determine whether they're still in the playoff race in August and September, because let's say that the, if, if the O's play 500 baseball, even if that's all they do, I think they have to probably err on the side of maybe not being a buyer or a seller, maybe just standing pat. Um, but if they, if they go, let's say they go 10 and five or something like that. Hey man, we're buying, <laughs> we're going to see what we can get here. We got a stocked minor league system. Let's see if we can get a couple of, you know, pieces to fit and, and help us out here. If they go five and 10, they might say, you know what? We, we gave it a run. It's nice. Um, Trey Mancini is a free agent, you know, X, Y, Z guy might be a, a, a piece who can get us some more prospects. So, well, you know, I thought about Mancini and then, and then I had a conversation late last night with, uh, one of the Orioles, um, uh, beat writers from Masson who, who I've been friends with for a long time, Steve Molesky. And Steve said, you know, I thought Mancini too, but he said, you know, don't, don't put a lot of stock in Mancini because he's not, he has some value, but because he's no longer under team control, somebody's potentially just picking him up to rent him for a couple of months. But if he had a year to go, maybe he'd be a more value. So, and if you trade a trade Mancini, man, you are really eroding some goodwill among your fan base that has started to turn out again at Camden Yards. But if you're, if you go five and 10, the next two weeks and then you trade Mancini, that's what I'm saying. I'm if you, even if all you get for him is a, a guy in high A or low in double A who, who may not even be a prospect, at least you're getting something because you're going to lose him after this year anyway. Um, yeah. At least yeah. theoretically can, but no, the next, I, I only bring that up to say the next three weeks are interesting. 500 or better. I think the O's are, are either neutral or, or buyers. Um, uh, you know, a, a bad stretch here. Uh, and they, they may be sellers one more time, but, 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 I wouldn't even take that as a negative because this team, the core of this team, Scott, has to be something that impresses you to say, we we can we can build if we can get another piece or two next year. Next year, let's make a run. So that's something that's something to look forward to. Whereas Nats fans have the second worst record in baseball, and they're trying to rebuild on the quick, um, and we'll see if they can do that. They got some co- contracts they can shed here in the next couple of years, um, but the O's are a lot further along. It's exciting to be a part of that, though, I'm sure, because nine-game nine, nine winning streak. I did see the TV last night, Scott, when you, you texted me about it. Uh, lots of O's fans in Wrigley Field last night. They were, they yeah. were having a good time. Yeah, I had a uh, relative its son and son and uh, daughter-in-law drove up there from uh, Tennessee, Nashville, to Chicago, and they said it was, conservatively speaking, 5,000 Oriole fans in attendance last night. Just wow. scattered throughout the ballpark. And I, I bet earlier this year you couldn't have five thousand Orioles fans scattered in Camden Yards. So you didn't. <laughs> so now that's that's a that's a great sign of uh, of of where the the fan base is. Well, um, we'll be watching the O's. We'll be getting ready for uh, ACC kickoff, uh, UVA media day, and yeah, there's a lot coming up the next few days for us at Augusta Free Press. Well, Scott, thank you for your time. For our listeners out there, thank you for your time, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.